Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Today is Wednesday. It's the 15th of April, 2020, and I'm joined for the third day in a row uh, by my friend Dr. Cedric Johnson from the University of Illinois at Chicago, where he's an associate professor of African-American studies and political science. And he also edited a book called The Neoliberal Deluge, Hurricane Katrina, Late Capitalism, and the Remaking of New Orleans. Cedric, uh, oh, and I should just note to the uh, folks, to the listeners, that uh, this is part three of a three-part interview, so you should go back and listen to the first two because they will have the, all the context that you need for whatever we talk about this time. Cedric, is there a, a way forward for New Orleans? I mean, not necessarily even out of the COVID crisis because we're just in the middle of that right now and, and none of us can predict exactly where this is going, but is there are there any signs of any kind of turning of direction, politically speaking, or any kind of grassroots mobilization around restoring some of what New Orleans has lost in terms of things like public hospitals? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely some, some, um, some energy around, uh, you know, rebuilding what's been lost. Um, you know, a lot of those folks who worked for those public hospitals are still in the state. Um, those nurses and doctors, I think that the the COVID crisis is going to intensify, you know, some of the the uh, the movement um, that was already in motion. Um, but there's other progressive things that they can build on as well, you know, in New Orleans. I think, um, you know, there's there's been important union struggles in the last few years uh, around the hotels and casinos, um, and I think there's also been a big push by in many cases, African-American women working in the areas of reproductive justice who are uh, on the front lines as far as dealing with some of the inadequacies of this highly privatized um, system of health care in the city. So things are happening. Um, it's always tough, though, right? I mean, I don't want to oversell, uh, you know, what's possible. I think everything's possible. I think it's possible to, to completely transform the city, but I don't want to oversell it right now. I think we have to be really sober about places like New Orleans and really um, the interior of the country that isn't always uh, at the forefront of uh, the left, broadly speaking, um, because those places are tougher to deal with, right? I mean, they're, they're tougher to, to build in. We, we saw that recently, you know, with the, with the Sanders campaign and the defeats in South Carolina and Alabama, Arkansas, these places. Um, New Orleans, I think, is better in some ways, has more of a progressive base than some of these other, other states. But I think the fight is tougher in those parts of the country, right? You know, it, here, in, New, here in, in Chicago, you've got, you know, long histories of unionism you've got really dense um you know more union density than other places um we can turn out on mass you know for different things whether it's the chicago teachers union uh actions or even for smaller strikes that don't even get national attention here like uh columbia university i mean columbia college and other schools here um but but ultimately, I think here there's a different sense of what's possible just based on the different struggles that are in motion. Again, Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, South Carolina, it's a tougher fight. And I think, you know, if there's anything we can say kind of a postmortem uh, looking at the Sanders campaign, I mean, I think that's where the fight has to happen, right? In the South, 
in the Rust Belt, and and I think it has to be a brick by brick um, type of action, right? That this that this is a long haul strategy we have to take that can't be accomplished in one election cycle or even two, right? But but really trying to bring a progressive politics to where it doesn't seem possible in some of these places, you know. Um, you know, I've lived. I'm sure you've lived in right to work states uh, as as I have, and things look different <laughs> when you're in that sort of uh, situation. Um, so yeah, I think we have to be conscious of that, and we have to be ready for, to fight for the for the long haul. You know, in this whole uh, kind of COVID-19 coverage map of the media, I mean, I don't think I've ever even heard New Orleans mentioned on the on the national level. I mean, when you do hear New Orleans mentioned, I mean, it does tend to be about things that are associated with its tourism background or their, you know, look back stories at, you know, Katrina 10 years later, Katrina 15 years later, whatever. But in terms of... Uh, you know, for a city that I think is as important to the United States as New Orleans is, at least I think culturally, if nothing else, and I think there are many other ways, it rarely, to me at least, for the media that I consume, it rarely rises to the level of, you know, the national coverage. And right. in some ways, I think, well, that's fine. I mean, because, the, you know, what what does it matter as long as locally people are you know are figuring out what's going on but i do think it speaks to what you're talking about with the interior parts of the country and the ways in which they're ignored or marginalized um in our overall organizing strategy i'm not sure if that's making any sense but it's just it occurs to me that the fact that we rarely talk about those places is part of the reason why you know we end up finding that we don't have a base there when it comes time to organize at the national level. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think whenever we do approach New Orleans, we end up slipping into the same sort of, uh, exceptional, uh, discourse, right. The same sort of ways of talking about it as though it's different, as though it stands apart, right. And it's not, it's some exotic place. Um, so unfortunately I think the, the tourist, tourist branding of New Orleans, right. Which is something that, city officials, locals, you know, uh, different tourism boosters have been working to produce for years, right? <laughs> They've tried to brand the city as this sort of really distinct locale. And it is, I mean, it is a really different place. Uh, it has some really unique things about it, but I think that the, that rhetoric, right? The sort of, uh, tourist branding of New Orleans overpowers, um, some of the ways that outsiders think of it to the point where they lose sight of the fact that all of the things that are happening in Chicago, you know, whether it's the affordable housing crisis, the displacement of the poor, um, shitty low wage jobs, right. All of those things are happening in New Orleans as well. Right. And in Biloxi and, and everywhere else uh, along the coast. Um, but I just think it, it, uh, it just falls off the map. Right. I mean, I think maybe it's a, maybe it's a fault of, some corporate journalists who have particular formula they use whenever they're covering certain stories and how they decide to, to, um, to frame them, uh, where New Orleans just simply gets the same sort of treatment whenever it does rise to, to national attention. Um, it's always either exotic or exceptional or, you know, just something that stands outside of the main of American life. And I think that's unfortunate, right? Cause like I said, all of the contradictions are there. Um, 
and and uh, we we would do well to to pay attention to it. To hear you describe it that way, I was I was struck by. I mean, I just started thinking of it's you know it's like finding out what the people who work at Disney World or Disneyland actually get paid. You know that that kind of thing. Like it's just right. it's this place that's you know New Orleans is like a a theme park on the coast or something, but there are actual yeah. human beings there who are you know, who are powering the city and many of whom in fact have nothing to do at all with its tourism economy and that kind of thing. But in any case, even the ones who do are, you know, generally speaking, poorly paid laborers, you know, behind the scenes. And it's easy to silence all of those voices when you paint this kind of theme park image onto the top of them. Right. Right. Uh, Dr. Cedric Johnson has been my guest for uh, the first three days of this week. He's an associate professor of African-American studies and political science at the University of Illinois at Chicago. He's the editor of a book called The Neoliberal Deluge, Hurricane Katrina, Late Capitalism and the Remaking of New Orleans. And he and Thomas Adams have an article in uh, Jacobin magazine that I'll link to in the show notes called Austerity is Fueling the COVID-19 Pandemic in New Orleans, Not Mardi Gras Culture. Uh, Cedric, it's been great to have your voice on the show. I'd love to have you back anytime you want to talk about something, and I thank you so much for taking the time to be with me this week. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs>